When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up! What is going on, everybody? And happy Halloween month. This is one of the better months of the year. Um, Definitely. At least the start of a good three months, right? Because you have Halloween in October. You got my birthday in November. But you also have, like, you know, uh, Thanksgiving where people make you food. Mm, you know, is, that's a good one too. Yeah, it's like sure. uh, just takeout. Basically, it's a day of takeout, um, and then Christmas, yeah. and then um, you know the crushing weight of another year flips over on the calendar <laughs> in January, and you start. You know, I don't know, and all the Your, nieces and nephews that you don't see, they're, they're fine. They're, they're fine. fine with it. They're okay. Yeah, yeah, they'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show, everybody. We have a good one for you. It's probably going to be. A long one. Why don't you just settle in? Oh, I meant to get in. I meant to get a candle going in here, Tamara, for some ambiance. But, oh, I can do that. Yeah, but we can't. You can't even really see it on the on the cameras anyway. So it's fine. You got you got the purple. You got the uh, the hatbox ghost who has both heads in the the same frame. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It is weird, but you know what? Um, it is what it is, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, today is our annual spooky story show, everybody. And uh, I would like to officially, for this joyous occasion, welcome back Terrence to the show. Yeah. Terrence, hey, welcome everybody. back, man. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. It's exciting. What have you been doing? Um, working, raising kids, um, <laughs> preventing myself from having additional kids and things <laughs> like that. That's about cool. it. Uh, yeah, it's good to have you back, man. Uh, you know, as much as we love having Eric on the show. Uh, it's always good to check in with you and see what you've been doing, man. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I've done since I was last on the show. I know I went to Disneyland and had a fantastic time and planning another trip to Disneyland with a uh, a special uh, guest attendee. I don't know if it's been announced on the show or not, but no. uh, er- Eric and Brandy will be going to Disneyland with me and my family. Whoa. Whoa. Heck yeah. Yeah. All right. We're doing it. Nice. <laughs> we're doing We're doing it. Yeah. Eric sounds drunk already. We're we're yeah, yeah. yeah we're yeah. doing it. When's we're, that gonna yeah, happen? Uh, we're going in <laughs> December, uh mid-December. Um it is it's kind of strange. Uh my nephew turns 21 the week prior, and the only thing he wanted to do for his 21st birthday was to go to Disneyland and drink with his uncle Terrence. Hell yeah. Nice. And I was like, let's do this. So, <laughs> so and Brandy be- turns also 20. There you go. Times two. Yes. She turns 20, so she will be the DD for if we need, if you guys need to go anywhere. She can't drink. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool, man. That sounds like a good time. That'll be a lot of fun. I love it. It'll be fun. Well, I hope you guys use uh, the service Concierge. You go to concierge.com. You can book your Disneyland tickets, your Disney World tickets, your uh, hotel reservations. You got park reservations. You got park tickets, Genie Plus, all the different things that you need to do. To navigate the parks. I was on Twitter the other day, like barely. I'm like barely on uh, our own social media anymore. And uh, someone was saying like, I used to work in the parks and I I used to know I used to design the parks (laughs) and I can't figure out 
how to navigate the parks now with all these things. Oh, geez. Yeah. I'm like, you need concierge, dude. You need somebody to do it for you. That's what, that's what you need. And that's what concierge is. It's a whole also, service. So go to concierge.com. Uh, they'll get you on uh, actually any vacation, but they're Disney parks experts. So you can still go to universal. You can do all this other stuff too. But uh, if you're, if you're itching to go to the parks and you don't understand it, they got your back. What's up, Taryn? I was just going to say, if they help design the park, why aren't we interviewing them? Because we should be. I mean, yeah. why not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds I mean, I don't like. I know them. Oh, but if they talk. They didn't. Oh, Many, they didn't I just read me. a thing. Yeah. yeah see, how many, Twitter works yeah. is people just yeah. write stuff and then you can read it. Yeah. No, I understand okay. how Twitter works. I thought that. Shut up. I don't know how Twitter works. <laughs> I don't can either. Please tell me. <laughs> I feel like please. we're better not knowing. It's like TikTok, but with words. No, TikTok. Is, well, I don't know. How, I don't know how to make a TikTok. I know how to sit there for hours. <laughs> well, I'll watch, watch the TikTok. It. It's it's like subscribing to Peacock, where you're like, well, these are things that I used to like. <laughs> yeah, you know, I what, I what I got the other day, and I thought it was just so true. <laughs> I thought it was a mistake, or I don't know what it was, uh, but I got it again. After a while, TikTok will put a video in your feed that goes, "Hold on." I see you've been scrolling for too long. Why don't you go outside and have some, you know, what? Yeah. Why don't you stop and take a break? That's what you want. Or you saw that. That's what a video. What do you mean? That's what I want. So it's a video. It's what I saw oh, on my feet. When I, I was scrolling last night. How, yeah. how long were you pooping? <laughs> uh, I wasn't. I was laying down on the couch watching the Chucky uh, TV series on sci-fi, which is just, I mean, just don't anyone waste your time. You know how, when you walk, at, especially at night, um, when you walk between the Disneyland hotel and like between the towers and it sort of smells like cat pee. Yeah. That's basically, absolutely. that's basically the visual of that smell is the Chucky TV. Show. Oh no. Yeah. It's awful. It is the worst it's very show bad. I've ever seen. Why are you watching? I mean, like, are you committed now? Are you going to oh, finish it? No, I went one episode and I was like, that's we've got 17 more episodes. Oh, I mean, I like the child's play, you know, series or whatever the show, the, the, the movies. I haven't seen like the last 12 or whatever they were, but I was like, I don't know. I just I want something to watch at night when I'm just sort of hanging out and waiting to go to bed. And uh, this is it. And I'm watching during the day. And so I'm just like, but it's so bad. It's just so, so terrible. I don't know why I'm watching. I don't know why. Because you know why? I don't know any better. <laughs> I don't know anything else to do or watch. I started watching Alaska, The Last Frontier. That sounds horrible. It's probably better than Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about? People who live in Alaska, but they live like they don't have electricity or running water and they have to. Well, you know, like because Alaska kind of sucks. You only have like four months of semi-decent weather and mm -hmm. then you have 86 months of frozen mm -hmm. darkness. And mm -hmm. they have to, in those four months, grow a garden, pickle everything, uh, can it all, kill well, I'll, elks I'll or tell something. You what, they don't have the to. They choose to. Well, right. Because and all that crap is available at the store. And those people, I think, have a mental illness. They don't have a store. They, they no, they can move. Yeah, there's other areas in this world with stores. Yeah. They could, but <laughs> but also if they have four months, they can get to a store in four months. <laughs> I mean, they've obviously been to a store. They have a tractor. No, well, see, the, yeah, these are people <laughs> that are tractor store. They've been to the tra like what, <laughs> that are like there's no, but there is a store. Isn't it called like Tractors R Us or Tractors? Yes, Beth, that's what it is. It's called no, Tractors R Us. That's a real thing. Three tractors. I am gonna swear. Story. No, it's called like Bev, you could be Where a farmer. You know so much. Yeah. Farmersonly.com. Only farmers.com. <laughs> <laughs>
No, there's a tractor. And this like is the podcast I joined. Tractor <laughs> Supply, and they sell everything there. They sell chickens. They sell tractors. Go figure. What are Andy? you talking about? You have Whatever. She's talking okay. about tractors are us. Yeah. Tractor Supply. Yeah. Great. Now Terrence and I are hungry. <laughs> right? You know? <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, let's start the show. Let's get into some stories. <laughs> that that, oh, that was yet? my story. It was about tractors. <laughs> oh, it was very scary, Bev. Thank you. Yeah. And then the Wait. and then it turned on. Ah. Uh. We went in for tractors and they were out of tractors. Ah. Oh. It was devastating. Yeah. Uh what we didn't do is talk about who should go first. Mine's kind of long. I know Taryn's is kind of long. Mine's kind of long. I think Bez is kind of long. Eric's is semi. Terrence is short. So I'm going to leave Terrence. Terrence, you're going to be somewhere in the middle to kind of okay. give everybody a break. Okay. Oh, I'll give you the five minute pee break that you need. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Yeah. I'm upset because Taryn has me playing sounds during hers. I'm like, cool. Now I have to pay attention. Yep. That's so rude. Like <laughs> Normally I'm just like on my phone or whatever. No, not you. He is so rude. Clip oh, number yeah, one. he is. Thank you. No, <laughs> yeah. see, I don't want to say clip number one. So he has to actually listen. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. That's difficult. I, I get it. You know what? I sympathize. Thanks, man. Ugh, you don't yeah. have to, Eric. It's fine. No, he oh, does. Oh, oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I, hey, I, I hey. no longer sympathize. You'll yeah. catch on, Eric. You'll catch on. Don't worry about it. Um, why don't we... Hmm. Who wants to go first? Bev or Taryn? I could go first. Doesn't matter. No, T- yours is always the best. It's a hard. I'll I know. Go first. first of all, mine's always the best. Thank Everybody you. knows Thank it. You, Definitely it's Taryn, not true. Every single time, and the bar is set so mm. high. Right. Thanks. I'll guys. go first, and I'm going to preface mine with it's very long, and I'm not sure it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It is good. Hey, man. You know what? Same. Okay. But you know what? It it happened. I did. I did the thing, and that's all I can say about that. All right, Yasu, let's go. Okay. Everyone, Bev's spooky story for this Halloween season. Wait, was that what we were supposed to write? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a Thanksgiving story. Like, yeah. my, is this the write? wrong episode? I just wrote a chapter <laughs> of my memoirs. <laughs> mm, it's, my ma- it's my manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> I feel technology should rule us all. Oh my God. It's my 12 point plan. Beverly, start. Don't count this against my time. It is against my time. <laughs> yeah, there's a time limit. It starts buzzing like, uh, like the Oscars. <laughs> it was a normal day for Jim Summers. He'd been in construction for many years. And like with any job, some job sites were more interesting than others. This particular job site was the most exciting one he'd ever worked on. Jim was working at Disneyland. He wasn't actually sure what he was working on because the whole project had been very hush-hush. All he knew was that someone very high up in the Disney corporation was paying his boss a lot of money for them to dig up the back lot. They were obviously looking for something, but no one on his team knew what. There were also these random men in suits that hung around the site. Other than the normal safety step, there was really only two rules for this job. Number one, when something was found, the suits were to be alerted immediately. And number two, under absolutely no circumstances was he or any of the other workers to disturb or interact with any item that may be found. He found this odd. How do you interact with an object? Working at Disneyland was a huge deal for Jim. He'd always been a big fan of the parks, but what he found most interesting was the history of Disneyland and Walt Disney by extension. One day, Jim had to head into work a little bit late. And because of that, he chose to take a later lunch than everyone else. So at noon, when all the other guys took their lunch, he continued to dig. 
Imagine his surprise when after a big scoop with his shovel, there, sitting on top of the mound of dirt, was what appeared to be a black leather-bound journal. Jim looked around for the suits to tell them he'd found something, but it appeared they'd all gone to lunch as well. So he's decided the best course of action would be just to set the journal aside and show, them, and show it to them once they returned. It was then when Jim moved to set the journal aside, he noticed the name printed across the bottom right-hand side in delicate gold filigree. Walter Elias Disney. Holy crap. This was Walt's journal. Even though he knew he shouldn't, in fact, he'd been given very specific instructions to, quote, not disturb or interact with anything found. He couldn't help himself. He had to see what was inside this thing. As soon as he opened it, he was immediately disappointed. There was nothing there. <laughs> I mean, there was a small bit of writing on the first page, but then the rest of the book was completely blank. Hello, thanks for finding me. That was it. Jim was beyond frustrated. He tossed the book off into the distance, muttering to himself. The book hit the ground with an audible thump. After taking a moment to calm down his frustrations, he decided to go fetch the book. After all, the suits did say they wanted to see every single thing that was found. So he walked over to where he tossed the book, picked it up, dusted it off, and once again opened the cover. He looked at the page in confusion. It still said, hello, thanks for finding me. But now there was more written. Now it said, hello, thanks for finding me. I think we should be properly introduced. I am Walter Elias Disney. Many, many years ago, I preserved my essence into this journal. For many years after my earthly body passed, I was kept in a box in a storage closet unknown to the world. It wasn't until the year 2000 that I was found and rescued from that dismal place. A man named Robert Iger found me. <laughs> he, much like you, was very surprised when he discovered I wasn't just some old journal. Now, I'm sure you have some questions for me, but let me answer the first and most obvious few for you now before you even ask. No, I'm not a horcrux. Yes, I know what those are. No, I do not have any plans to take over Wizarding Britain. Yes, oh. I know who Harry Potter is. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, feel free to ask me anything. Jim was overwhelmed. He was confused, but he had so many questions. He didn't know what to do with himself. So he did what anyone would do. He started asking them, all of them, all at once. How is this possible? Is it really you? Why are you a book? How did you end up buried under a ton of cement? Before the journal could reply, Jim's co-workers came back from lunch. Jim quickly hid the journal in his pocket. There was no way he was going to share this with anyone. Suit guys be damned. <laughs> the rest of the day dragged on. He just wanted to leave for the day and delve into this journal. After all, this was potentially the consciousness of Walt Disney. And he had an opportunity millions of people wished that they could have. He could literally ask him anything. Over the next several months, Jim would spend every waking moment he had available with the book, taking in all the information and history that the book would share with him. He was living his best life on all fronts. He was doing really well at work. Book Walt, as he had affectionately started to refer to the journal, <laughs> given him a couple of ideas on how to potentially advance in his job. And hopefully soon he would make the move into management. Things couldn't be better in Jim's life. However, he couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. I mean, besides the fact that he spent most of his days having deep, meaningful conversations with a book. <laughs> Jim felt that Book Walt was keeping something from him. This, this is a recurring thing. <laughs> even, even though he'd asked him several times, Book Walt wouldn't tell him. <laughs> 
stop. Even though he'd asked him several times, Bookwalt wouldn't tell him how he became, quote, Bookwalt. (laughs) (laughs) You guys got to stop. I love laughing at scary stories. (laughs) It's shut up. He also refused to tell him how he ended up buried in the back lot. Finally, one night, Jim decided tonight was the night. He was going to find out what Bookwalt was hiding. So that evening, Jim asked again, Walt, how did you end up a book? There was nothing for a very long time. Jim assumed Walt was not going to answer him again. But then finally, words started to appear on the pages in that world-famous handwriting. You know when you look me up and all the reports say that I was diagnosed with cancer in 1966? Well, that's not entirely true. We knew I was sick about a year before then. And I spent that year scouring the globe, looking for something, anything to preserve my life. And for most of my search, I was unsuccessful. I started with specialists, but I learned quickly that they would be no help to me. The next group I reached out to were witch doctors, shamans, Eastern medicine practitioners, and anything else non-conventional. Sadly, those requests went unanswered as well. That is until December 15th, 1966, I received a visit from a voodoo priestess named Marie. I'd been feeling poorly and knew that my time here on earth would soon be coming to an end. Marie told me that she could preserve my essence or consciousness, if you will, but not my body. She told me that in order for her to perform such magic, there would be a steep price. I told her I would do it. I would pay anything. Just get on with it before my time was up. She told me I needed to select an item that my essence could be tied to, but to make it something that I could use easily to communicate. The obvious choice to me was the new journal Lillian had given me for my birthday just a few days prior. Just before she began the ritual, she informed me that the cost to do this magic was a human life. Marie told me the transition would not be complete until a life sacrifice was made. Now, at this point, I was literally knocking on death's door. I couldn't kill someone. I couldn't even get out of bed. But if it would save me, I was going to find a way to do it. So I started thinking of ways to make this happen. I'd never thought about killing someone before. And honestly, I was a little surprised that the concept didn't really bother me that much. I guess it's true. Desperate times do, in fact, call for desperate measures. I started to think about the park and the park guests. Disneyland had been open for several years at this point. And it always seemed like people were doing things to get themselves hurt. And one time in 1964, someone actually did die on the Matterhorn. And then someone died again on the monorail in June of 1966. It was bound to happen again. So I asked the priestess first if one of those deaths that had already occurred could count. She told me no. It had to be a fresh death. But if I was willing to wait until the next Disneyland death, she would be willing to count that death as the sacrifice. I agreed, and off she went. I passed later that evening. And there I waited, not alive, but not dead either, floating in the in-between, like vapor. I didn't have to wait very long, because in August of 1967, the thing I had been waiting for happened. A young man on the people mover, a young man died on the people mover, and when his life ended, my consciousness awoke. Well, as I sat there, For all those years, hidden away in that storage closet, completely aware of every single passing day, but with no one to communicate with, I would notice every now and then this surge of power and strength. It was like the fog that I was surrounded in was being lifted. I can tell you every single date that I felt that surge. As Walt listed the dates, Jim sat there frozen in horror. 
June 20th, 1973, July 8th, 1974. He knew these dates. August 14th, 1979, June 7th, 1980, April 16th, 1981. The list went on and on. Bookwalt was giving him every date that someone had received a fatal injury at Disneyland. After Iger found me and realized who and what I was, we made an agreement. If he would facilitate some of the, quote, accidents in the park, I would give him all my unheard ideas to claim as his own. When he first started, he was on board. He wanted my ideas. He wanted to help me. But after he helped facilitate a couple of, quote, incidents in 2003, it became clear to me that he didn't have the stomach for it. He became distant. And I think he started to fear me. After that, Iger put me on a bookshelf and left me there for 10 years. Even though he didn't talk to me anymore, he sure as hell didn't have a problem using the ideas I had given him and taken all the credit. But what Iger didn't know was that when he was out of his office, a young man would come in and rifle through his bookshelf. And that's how I met the person who would become my savior. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In August of 2019, there was another fatality in, a, in the park and a power like nothing I've ever felt before shot through me. It made me feel like myself again. I shot off the bookshelf and landed on the floor with a loud thump. I knew then that one more death was all it was going to take. One more death and I could come back. I just knew there was a way to make me flesh and bone again. And I knew someone was working on it. I felt it in my soul. As I lay there on the plush carpet of Bob Iger's office, I heard him answer the phone. I heard him learn of the death. I think it was then that he also realized I was on the brink of becoming more. He was afraid. So that's when he decided to dispose of me in the back lot when it was being repaved. He thought no one would ever find me buried under all of that cement. But he was wrong. My friend, the one who would sneak in to read and to communicate me when, when Iger was out of the office, noticed I was gone immediately. But he also knew he needed to bide his time before he was able to recover me. I knew it. I could feel it the second you started digging for me. My savior was going to find me. I was going to be liberated. You see, little did Mr. Iger know that when he chose his successor, a man named Bob Chapek, he was hiring the son of the very voodoo priestess who tied me to this journal. The same young man who would sneak into his office to communicate with me. Bob knew who and what I was the moment he saw me on that bookshelf. His mother had told him about the ritual, and Bob had made it his goal in life to find me and to bring me back. But before that could happen, we needed a pawn. A, a pawn, Jim said? He wanted to close the book and throw it into the ocean or a fireplace or something, but he was paralyzed. He wasn't sure if the book had done something to him to paralyze him or if it was just the fear. Do you think it was fate that you were the one to find me, Jim? You're young, healthy. You have no family, no spouse, no real friends. No one knows you well enough to miss you. No one will be the wiser because your body's still going to be here. However, your consciousness is going to get a bit of a makeover. Mr. Chapek and his team have known all along that I was in your possession. They needed someone like you to find me and for us to form a bond. I mean, really, what kind of a loser's only friend is a possessed book he found in a pile of debris? Soon, the suits, as you called them so many months ago, will be here, and they'll take us to Disneyland, and that is where you, my dear friend, will die. Because you see, Mr. Chapek has learned a few tricks that his dearly departed mother didn't know. We're going to trade places. I will once again be a living, breathing human being. I'll still be me, 
I'll just be wearing a gym suit. And you? Well, you'll spend the rest of eternity as vapor. I'm sorry, we can't risk tying your essence to anything. What if someone were to find you? We couldn't have that. Our secret would get out. At that moment, Jim slammed the book closed. He was going to destroy the book. No, no, maybe he should actually just leave. Walt said they were coming. Was, was he serious? Just then a team of men came barreling through his front door. One of them snatched the book from his hands and another hit him in the back of the head with a blunt object. And everything went black. He awoke to find himself tied to a chair in a room with Bob Chapek. Bob was holding the book and saying something that Jim couldn't make out. Then Jim started to feel very odd, like lightheaded. No, that's not it. He, he was floating. He could see his body be below. What was happening to him? And then he was nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to announce Jim Summers as my successor. Bob Chapek said as he stood at the podium. It was, this was supposed to be a celebration of the next, the next batch of Disney legends. Not a retirement announcement, but what better time than now to announce the new CEO? Jim Summers was a bit of an anomaly. He started his career as a construction worker who, after working his way up the ranks in that profession, sparked up a fascinating friendship with Bob Chapek and eventually was hired on as Bob's right-hand men. A few times when Jim was out with his new co-workers, someone would come up to him as though they knew him. After kindly letting the people know that he didn't know who they were, he would turn to his new co-workers and say, I guess I just have a familiar face. The end. Good job. That was awesome. Book Walt and suit Jim. <laughs> Jim suit. Yeah. Jim suit. I love it. The chat and I um, really want a Book Walt t-shirt. <laughs> So. I was like trying to find different ways to say because I could it's hella long and I was like I've said book I've said journal I've said well like I've said these names so many times I need to call him something else no book Walt book Walt is perfect someone needs to get Dan on a voodoo chapek shirt as well so, <laughs> that would be amazing oh yeah that for would sure. be good good job Beth. that was yeah. amazing nice work thanks uh Eric why don't you go next my friend oh oh well yeah <laughs> Since you called me your friend. Yeah. Oh. I mean. That's the scary story. How could you say no? That's what no one says. That's the freaky story. Yeah. And we were friends. Ah, ah. All right. Don't sound so excited, though. <laughs> I'm trying to set the mood. Oh, yeah. Get a little more. You did East Coast. Yeah, you did read the brief. It's a scary story, right? Yeah. Not yeah, a horny a story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That escalated quickly. And light oh, a <laughs> well, I can't comment on uh, Prince's activities on the East Coast at this time, <laughs> but here we go. People Mover hummed in a way that most never really understood. Of course it did. Long after the source of the city's energy was replaced by clean fusion, the Imagineers had dictated that this quaint electric hum should remain. It kind of took the active maintenance to uh, keep the uh, conveyance in the same shape as it was in 1971 when the city first unveiled it. Eisner rubbed at his bleary eyes. Today started the same as any other, but these days were just a blur. Ten was just beginning. Ten years ago, his position with GE morphed into the prestigious internship at Epcot. Sponsors were nearly guaranteed to get their best and brightest in front of Walt's council, and Eisner fit that bill to a T. 
he rose the ranks with his practical ideas, daring to suggest that slight tweaks above the customer experience would be enough to enchant. As long as expectations were exceeded, that was enough to meet the value curve. But 10 was approaching, despite his successes. It was one of his rules. Only 10 years, and then make way for the next generation of dreamers and doers. But Eisner was not ready to let go so easily. Born into a wealthy family, he was guaranteed his rise to the top. He wanted nothing to do with the family money, though. Really, he just wanted to control Disney. Early tests of the city's fusion cells bolstered confidence in Ron Miller, the current CEO, who had taken over when Walt passed so late in his life that nobody could imagine a world without him. It was natural to hand the reins to uh, one of Walt's family members instead of one of his loyal park builders. It was a little bit disappointing, but everybody kind of went along with it. He paused expansion of the Epcot series of communities. He continued the tradition of partnership with industry, always looking to expand and take in the tech from other industries that could supplement the cities without breaking that bank. He was um, moderately successful. Word on the street was the board was looking for anyone who could break the code that Walt held. How could they break out of the staid path on which they currently ran? Shareholders were happy enough, but the last few films were kind of flops. What good was a successful Black Cauldron movie sequel if the Epcots, the cities, were failing? As a resident of Epcot Prime, Eisner was afforded significant luxury. Even though his contract of 10 years was nearly up, he was encouraged to further GE's partnership through any means necessary. Rather than get sent out to the non-Disney world in a few months, Eisner knew he could sufficiently wow his superiors enough to force a change in leadership at Disney. The people mover hummed and clacked along its trail, heading towards its inevitable destination at the heart of Epcot Prime. He had done so much for this company. Both GE and Disney still worked together for synergy. Eisner needed one more big win to secure his location at the top of the company. Both of his companies. Imagine the synergy of a utility corporation like GE with an entertainment corporation like Disney. It wasn't so far of a stretch. After all, Disney Imagineers in Epcot Mark VI. Uh, were the ones responsible for the invention of cold fusion. Modern visitors weren't impressed with the slow-moving cars on a trek, no matter how efficient a method of transportation they were. Eisner needed a win. The archives were always full of random old ideas that never really paid off. Some were ambitious, some were unambitious, or tied to unprofitable IPs like Han Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. The theme parks at Epcot really didn't need a big draw, but nobody had ever identified with the Dutch tale of Gerda and Kai. Eisner dug deeper into the vaults, looking for something, anything that he could use as an idea to improve these cities or parks. Hours of research finally gave results. A madman named Spinlock once suggested a new transportation system. A system by which anyone or anything could be transported across a great distance. Eisner salivated at the idea of a connecting system that would bring together all of the Epcot cities, eliminating the need for the city's lower levels, 
Why smell a smelly truck under the city to a central depot when said central depot could receive shipments directly from their most prestigious partners? It was the perfect project. Transport materials from here to there. Now that the Epcot cities ran on fusion, they had the energy necessary to power projects long ago abandoned. Eisner crafted a plan. After months of toil, largely unsupported by the Disney Corporation, led to a functional-ish prototype. Eisner marveled at what he had wrought. An audio-animatronic Lincoln operated the controls. Recent AI advances meant that the robot might be surly, but he could handle the task of pressing a few buttons. (laughs) Beyond the robot's cold form lay two transparent plasteel tubes. The tubes could withstand any amount of pressure. Positive, negative. These were the perfect vessels to transport products or beings across vast distances. Eisner powered up the system. Never the one for a ceremony. He drew upon the Epcot City power grid and prepared himself for the first test. Inside one tube lay a plush Mickey Mouse toy sold at the parks. In the other, anticipation. The robotic Lincoln operated the complex series of tasks necessary, and with a flash of light and smoke, Eisner knew he had selected the right project from the archives. Mickey Mouse was gone in a literal flash. Seconds later, Eisner stared at the destination tube. If his calculations were correct, the plush doll would have been deconstructed from one location and perfectly restored across the room. A flash! A smoke, a monstrous form, stood in front of Eisner. Hello, (laughs) he intoned, intoned, knowing full well this new visitor to the planet might not understand English. The alien form within the tube must have somehow intercepted the transmission of the doll. Eisner slapped his hand on top of a button intended to vaporize the abomination on, on the other side of the transport system. Lights flashed. Steam steamed. Transparent plasteel cracked as the creature within writhed. But then it shattered. All but the emergency lights filled in the room as a massive creature unfolded insectile. It extended multiple arms and legs. Its wings shook off shards of plasteel and flexed in the red light. The creature scanned the room. A robot stood redy, Lincoln-like figures. Fingers. (laughs) Fingers. <laughs> Are you okay, Eric? I'm great. <laughs> Lincoln-like fingers poised over a blinking console. Lincoln-like I... fingers. <laughs> it's a Lincoln robot. Come on. I know. Lincoln Listen like... back. Rewind no, a few minutes. I just think it's very funny. It's a very like very visual turn of phrase. That's all. <laughs> That's why I put it in here. Lincoln-like fingers. Uh, poised I can't even say the word fingers Um, poised over a blinking console Eisner froze unable to process even the existence of this monster the creature bit into his head with little resistance the creature flexed arms wings mandibles now wet with a red metallic tasting fluid with which it was unfamiliar It shivered briefly in the thrill of meeting a new species and tearing it tiny bits. It roared. The robot cocked its head quizzically. The robot again interpreted the roars of the creature. Its eyes dimmed. 
Seconds later, they winked back on. Perhaps not so useless at all, this new creature. The robot's fingers blurred over the console. The broken tube flashed to life. The creature helped itself to a bit of its new friend's um, leavings. Delicious. <laughs> yes, this planet would do. Best to find more food before the others arrived, though. The creature hated to share. Very good, Eric. Good job, Eric. <laughs> you. you know good what that means. job. Our friends at the 21st Amendment Brewery welcome the warmer weather with the release of their brand new hoppy pilsner, Coaster Pills. With a label that depicts a magical portal into an amusement park of flavors, Coaster Pills has a good time around every turn. Coaster Pills is wonderfully clear and bright with a beautiful straw color and tight white bubbles. It has a snappy flavor with crisp lines and wonderful citrus tropical hoppy flavors and aromas. Plus, at 5.4% ABV, it'll help you coast right through your day like only the 21st Amendment can. Coaster Pills, as well as our summertime favorite Hell or High Watermelon Wheat, are available wherever you find great craft beer. You got to do the classic, uh, here's a creepy story, but then a very nice enchanting song. Yes. Just to hey. lift the spirits, right? Yeah. Perfect. All right. So that leaves Taryn, Terrence, and me. That's right. I haven't gone so, yet, right? You have not gone yet. Who do you want throw next? Me, throw me in the middle. I'll go right now. I'll give you guys a break. I haven't said okay. a damn word. <laughs> Are we good? Yeah. You want to go next? Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, by the way, just before I read this, uh, yeah. when I read it to Becca, she said, oh, that was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> you never want to hear that from your wife. Perfect. I was like, it's a scary story. She's like, oh, no, it was it was cute. I'm like, okay. So this is <laughs> very good. All right. Uh, Ashley took a... Uh, go ahead. No, nothing. I was going to make a cool joke. Go ahead, please. Sorry. Sorry about that. No, it's my uh, fault, Terrence. Don't apologize. Sorry. No, it's uh, my fault. <laughs> uh, Ashley took a bite of her churro as she strolled along with her parents at Disneyland. It had been a dream of hers to come to the happiest place on earth. It felt like everyone in the world was here today. There was laughing, children running, and strollers as far as the eyes could see. That's the end. That's the end of the story. Uh, hey. <laughs> thank you. Scary, terrifying. Right. Uh, Stephanie glared at Robert and looked away in frustration. Robert clicked his tongue. Why are you being like this? This is the first time she's been to Disneyland. Why are you trying to ruin it for her? He mumbled. Me ruin it? I already told you. I didn't think this was a good idea. She's not ready. I was seven before I was able to go out in public without an issue. She's only four. She's not in control yet. But you didn't listen, did you? Just like every other time. You'd never listen. The entry to Small World was now a few feet behind them. Can you at least pretend to be happy? For the sake of our daughter, Stephanie, at least. We've ridden a few rides and nothing um, and nothing has gone wrong. We've had a bunch of fun and nothing has happened. She's ready. Robert threw his hands midair, unable to comprehend his wife's logic. Stephanie was just ready for the three of them to be alone back in their home in the high desert where it was safe. Nothing has gone wrong. <laughs> Whoa. Sorry. I guess Bev's on, on her phone on YouTube. Sorry, yeah, Bev's, Bev's uninterested and just wants yeah, to I, re I, relive the last 20 seconds of whatever just it happened. Was, that was what Back I wanted life to was do. Great. Yes. Sorry. Uh, fine. I won't ruin your time with your daughter. All I, is, all I said is that we have to talk about these things first. That's all. I don't think she's ready. Her voice cracked as she clenched her teeth tight. It was beyond her understanding how he could make a decision like this without consulting her. Ashley was not ready. 
Ashley, however, was just so excited to be there. She had grown tired of walking on the way to the park, but now that she was taking in the glorious sights and sounds and smells, she felt like she was walking on air. There are candy shops, photo booths, and a giant snow-covered mountain and every cartoon character she could imagine. In her four short years on this earth, she had never seen anything like this. Her life of seclusion was now opening up to a whole new world. Ashley, stop trying to let go of my hand. You stay right by mommy's side. Do you understand me? Her mother swiftly held her hand tightly as a reminder to behave. Ashley waved at fellow kids near a cotton candy stand, and Stephanie clenched her hand even tighter. Robert quickly cut in, glowered at his wife. Stephanie's face turned a bright crimson. If anything, and I mean anything happens, or it's your fault. She lowered her eyebrows in anger as she walked off to a nearby bathroom. Robert bent down to his daughter and fixed her blue scarf around her neck. Don't you mind your mother. She's just in a bad mood. Is she, is she mad at me, Daddy? asked Ashley. No, replied Robert. She's mad at me. Now, don't you worry so much. We'll have so much fun here. He high-fived his daughter and looked back at Stephanie, who now stood a few yards away, looking at the people riding the teacups go round and round and round. The duo joined in the sightseeing. Ashley grinned from ear to ear and sprung up and down, clapping her hands enthusiastically. Stephanie couldn't help but smile, but only on the inside. Robert held her hands tight and whispered in her ears, Sweetie, you can relax now. It's okay. I won't let anything happen. She gazed into her husband's eyes, misty-eyed and nodded ever so slightly. He put a, a hand around her, comforting his wife. Stephanie did seem to relax, but all of a sudden, she dug her nails into Robert's arms. Where, where is Ashley? As Ashley watched the kids scream their heads off on the ride, she noticed a single bright red Mickey balloon off in the distance far beyond the Matterhorn. She got so excited that she scurried as fast as her skinny legs could take her to see it. The more she ran, the further away it felt. Her ponytails dangled from side to side as she dashed her way to the end. The balloon was tied to a wooden pole and it waved in the wind. Ashley stood in front of the pole and contemplated her next move. Just then, a husky voice spoke. Are you lost? Ashley turned to find a giant man dressed in a crisp white shirt, blue hat and pants with a red stripe down the side looking down at her. She stared back blankly. He leaned in to examine her. First time here? When the girl didn't pay him any heat, any heed to his questions, he slowly walked over to the pole and stood right beside it. Do you want this balloon? Ashley bobbed her head up and down like a doll. The man loosened the string and handed her the balloon. The girl's face lit up as she tightly held the balloon in her now quivering hands. The man looked at the girl and smiled. As if answering his questions, she turned around and realized that she was far off from her parents. The hefty man kneeled to the ground and pointed to a door a few feet away. We can go into the security area and I can radio to try to find your parents. The security door seemed almost too hidden behind a large shrubbery. Ashley eyed him and did not say a thing. The security guard took her hand gently and began leading her to the door. Robert and Stephanie spent the next 20 minutes trying to find their only daughter. The place was jam-packed and people walked in all directions. Stephanie pushed through them, calling the young girl's name. She just wanted to scream at the top of her lungs. None of this would have happened if he had just listened to me for once. Robert was in absolute disarray, and he clearly didn't want to hear an I told you so right now. 
They searched every nook and cranny of Fantasyland, but couldn't trace the girl. There are too many people there to get a good scent. Robert didn't want to ask for help from anyone, but the circumstances made that impossible. As he made his way over to a cast member near Alice in Wonderland, his wife ran over to him and tugged him by the arm, and they both scampered towards the Matterhorn. She had found the blue scarf that their daughter had been wearing. They ran as fast as they could and panted as they reached over to pick up the scarf. Stephanie was on the verge of tears, and she sniffled, holding the piece of cloth close to her heart. Robert looked over to his right, past a large shrubbery, and his heart sank. Ashley squatted on the ground, chewing relentlessly with both of her hands stuffing her mouth. She had bitten open the entire abdomen of the guard and was feasting on her favorite part of the meal, the intestines. (laughs) Her bloodshot eyes instantly recognized her parents' presence, and she quickly stood up, wiping her hands on her starry pink shirt. Stephanie bumped her husband in the chest and scoffed. I told you she wasn't ready. What if someone else had come by? What do you think they would have done? Robert didn't take his eyes off the daughter. Stephanie nudged him again. Answer me. You know what humans do to our kind, and you still want to bring her to this ridiculous place? She inhaled deeply, trying to hold her breath. Robert couldn't focus on his wife's bickering. Instead, he walked over and grabbing a pack of wipes from their backpack, began to clean his daughter's hands and face of the blood and the flesh now clinging to her. Then he slipped a sweatshirt over her bloodstained shirt. He looked down, made a wry smile, and ruffled his daughter's hair. This wasn't the best place to do this, but good kill. You're getting so good. I'm proud of you. Ashley hugged her dad while Stephanie eyeballed the two of them. They were barely past the Matterhorn before they heard the blood-curdling screams from behind them. Someone had found the guard. Your little adventure is done, Missy, said Stephanie. It's time to head back home. Dang. That, that, was, that was cute. That <laughs> took a turn. It was a very cute story. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad it was cute. Yeah. Wow. All right. We're going to take a fast break, everybody. We're going to come right back. And Taryn and I are apparently going to close this series out of spooky stories here on ears up stay tuned we'll be right back and now back to the show that's more fun than waiting in line for peter pan on a hot august anaheim day ears up all right all right taryn it's down to you and me dude all right do you want to go first or am i going first i can go i'll go all right we usually end with you we do? Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Kind of. It's weird. That is weird. Don't like it. Okay, go ahead. All right. All right. Uh, just wake me up when you're when it's time for me to play a sound or something. You're the worst. Oh, damn. Kind of are. Yeah. Hi, guys. Today, I'm in Disneyland's most atrocious spot, Tomorrowland. Does anyone care about this place? I mean, we know Mr. Chapek doesn't. Zach, a 24-year-old self-proclaimed TikTok sensation, says into the front-facing camera on his phone. His arm is outstretched in front of him as he continues. So much space is taken up by this huge circular building here. Like, get rid of it already. Am I right? Anyway, today I'm taking you inside this completely unnecessary building, and we're going to see if Star Wars Launch Bay is even worth the space it's taking up. Let's go. Zach is standing between the Innovations Building and Galactic Grill, staring at his phone. As several guests maneuver their strollers around him, he watches the video he just made, nods confidently to himself, and walks over to Galactic Grill. He's there to grab the blue raspberry slush. It comes with a glowing cube. He has over 25 of them now. The truth is, 
Zach doesn't even like the blue raspberry slush. But six months ago, when he bought one for the first time, his friend dared him to chug the whole thing for a TikTok video. About a quarter of the way through the challenge, Zach coughed, blasting icy blue liquid everywhere. It dribbled down his shirt, sprayed on each of his friends, and even hit a few random guests in the nearby vicinity. Zach hurled the cup across the dining area toward a trash can. The cup nearly made it, but gravity helped topple it over, dripping blue, uh, bright blue slush down the side. He uploaded the video to TikTok, and that's how he gained 850,000 followers. So even though he doesn't like blue raspberry slush, it's become a sort of calling card for him. He holds his blue slushy in one hand and his phone pointed at his face in the other. He pushes record. All right, guys, we are now walking up the ramp of what used to be the Innovations Building. This used to house the uh, Carousel of Progress, which was like a round, moving, animatronic theater show. I never saw it, but it sounds kind of lame, honestly. Now they've turned it into like a sort of Star Wars museum and store. As you guys know, I am obsessed with Star Wars. And look, I know it's a bit taboo, but I think deep down inside, we all kind of love Jar Jar. Am I right? Anyway, let's go inside and see what's in there. He continues into the building and takes video of the exhibits, stops at some of the bigger exhibits to zoom in on things like Darth Vader's mask. After a few minutes, Zach heads to the shopping area. He places his blue drink on top of a freestanding rack in the center of the room, then leans the phone against the cup with the front-facing camera focused on himself. He's trying to get a shot of himself with the view of the souvenirs in the background. He gets it set up and is about to push record when someone taps on his shoulder. Hi, she smiles widely. Um, okay, if you aren't, this is going to sound crazy, but are you that blue slushy guy from TikTok? Zach turns around to find a petite redhead in her early 20s. She's wearing a silver and blue uniform with a Disneyland name tag that reads Jill. He's taken aback by her radiance and blushes slightly. Uh, yeah, that's me. Cool. I follow you on TikTok. Your videos are really funny. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to see if it was really you, Jill says, smiling. Wow. Thanks for the follow. Huh, I'm definitely the blue slushy guy. See? Zach says as he points to his drink and chuckles. Jill's about to respond when she sees a couple of kids running around a few yards away. She looks to Zach and quickly says, sorry, I gotta go. She smiles and turns, walking toward the rambunctious children. Cool, uh, DM me sometime, Zach calls after her, but she's already out of earshot. He looks in the direction where Jill is headed. He sees her kneeling down, talking closely with a couple children. They look excited, not at all like they were just reprimanded. Dang, she's got that Disneyland cast member charm. He turns his focus back to his phone and readjusts it against the slushy cup. He's again about to push record, when suddenly... The display rack shakes as a lightsaber smashes into it. Another lightsaber blow on the opposite side hits a basket of baby Yodas, shaking the rack even harder. Then, in a matter of milliseconds, his phone falls flat, the cup topples over on top of it, the lid bursts off, and an explosion of icy blue slush blasts it directly at his chest and dribbles down the front of his shirt. Uh -huh. Zach looks down. The action that just occurred, along with the sheer coldness of the drink against his body, leaves him stunned for a beat. Oh, hey, you guys can't play with the lightsabers in here like that, Jill says to the kids in her best Disney cast member voice. The kids don't respond. They just stare at her and then run off. Jill quickly turns her attention to Zach. Oh, my God, she says, cupping her mouth. I am so sorry that happened. I, I tried to stop them, but they got away from me. She assesses the damage to Zach's clothing. Hey, Jill says, grabbing a shirt with a picture of Luke Skywalker and the phrase, the force is strong with this dad on it. She hands it to Zach. Tell you what, why don't you take one of these shirts on me and go to the employee restroom and clean up? It's through that door over there. She points to an inconspicuous door against the wall. 
thanks, Zach sighs as he grabs his phone, takes the shirt from Jill and walks toward the door. He's annoyed and embarrassed, but also a little excited that he's been invited to go backstage to the employee bathroom. He turns back to Jill and says, hey, thanks again. She smiles at him as he shuts the door. Zach is in a stairwell painted bright white. There are two levels above him and two below. He's not sure what he expected, but this just looks like a plain old stairwell. He also notices how quiet it is in there. You can't hear Disney at all. Nothing. He's a little disappointed. He sort of expected music and colorful walls, but he decides to video his backstage experience anyway. When he tries to unlock his phone, nothing happens. The screen's black. He cycles it on and off again, but nothing happens. Then he turns the phone over and sees that the charging port is seeping out blue liquid. Ugh! You have got to be kidding me, Zach grunts. The one time I have some insider information and I have no way to document it. <sighs> Realizing there isn't anything he can do about the phone, Zach turns his attention to the white stairwell. There's no hallway or anything, just stairs above and below him, with a single door at each landing. Zach begins to climb the staircase to the next floor looking for the bathroom. After 15 steps, he reaches the landing and tries the door. It's locked. Rolling his eyes, he stomps up to the next flight of, and to the next landing, tries the door, locked. He looks down from the top of the stairwell to below and sees nothing but white stairs, a few white doors, and that's it. There aren't even any exit signs. Still holding his new Star Wars dad shirt, he begins the descent back down the steps. He walks past the door he entered from and proceeds down to the floor below. He tries that door and is half surprised that it too is locked. Thanks, Jill, for giving me zero direction here, Zach mutters to himself while descending to the final 15 stairs. He stands in front of the last door, turns the handle, locked. Seriously, Zach shouts, rubbing his fingers to his temples. Realizing that the only door that's unlocked is the one he came through, he ventures back up to that floor's landing. He stops at the door, looks down at the shirt, and realizes that he can just change right here. There isn't anyone else around. He removes the blue-stained shirt and puts on the one Jill gave him. God, at least I'm not cold and wet anymore, he mutters to himself as he turns the doorknob. It doesn't turn. He tries again. Nothing. The door is locked. Every door is locked. There must be a mistake. He decides to try them all again. First door locked. Second door locked. Third, he already knows this one's locked. He tried it three minutes ago, but he tries it again. Locked. Fourth, locked. Fifth, final door. Locked. He stands at the bottom, staring up at the five flights of stairs. He puts his hand to his chin, contemplating his next move. He has none. He slides, back, he slides his back down the wall and sits on the floor. He tries to turn on his phone again. Nothing. He blows out a big, audible breath and lowers his head into his hands. After a few moments, he releases his hands from his face, and he sees a square on the ground. Rubbing his eyes, he looks again. It looks like a basement trap door or something. He gets up and walks toward it. There's a, little, a white metal ring attached to one side. It's definitely a door. He puts his hand to his mouth and inspects the door carefully. Having seen plenty of horror movies, he knows that opening the door is a bad idea. But then he reminds himself he's at Disneyland, the happiest place on Earth. It's fine. It's fine. It's also his literal only option at this point. He grabs the white ring and pulls. To his surprise, he opens it easily. There's light shining from inside and a small staircase leading down into a room. He can't really tell, but it looks almost like a small theater. It's dark, but there are lights and he thinks he sees a stage. And for the first time since being in this stairwell, he can hear something other than his own sounds. He listens closely. He's relieved to hear something cheerful and welcoming, 
and he begins to descend the small staircase. Once he gets to the final step, he looks around and his anxiety turns to excitement as he sees a stage with a living room and a kitchen and animatronics. It's lit up as if there's a show being performed right now. Zach never saw Carousel of Progress, but he's seen photos and this is definitely it. The room feels comfortable to Zach, like he just got to the front of an attraction and he forgets for a moment that he's in a basement. The room is mostly dark and there is a large open space in front of the stage where chairs would be if this were an attraction. The only lights in the room are coming from on stage. It's lit to be very bright and appears to be the, I guess, modern scene from Carousel of Progress. There's the dad figure in his Christmas sweater cooking in the kitchen. Mom's on her laptop. There's two teenage kids playing VR video games. He walks toward the stage to get a closer look, and he's instantly taken aback by the detail work on the animatronics. He's only seen an animatronic up close once before when he sat on Lincoln's lap during great moments with Mr. Lincoln for a TikTok stunt. These animatronics look so crisp and clean, though, compared to Lincoln. He wonders if they're brand new or something. Lost in thought, it takes him a moment to register the voice behind him. They're pretty magical, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Oh, Zach turns, realizing he's not alone. Uh, Sorry, I I got lost and I ended up here. I, I didn't mean to. It's okay, the friendly voice says. Every few months, we get someone who finds this place. The man steps forward and stands to the left of Zach. He's in his mid-twenties, clean-cut, tall, thin, with dark hair and thick-rimmed glasses. He's wearing a short-sleeved button-up shirt tucked into a pair of khakis. Zach looks at him and sees his Disneyland name tag. I'm Jeff. I'm a figure finisher here. They look pretty good, don't they? Yeah, they look great. This is Carousel of Progress, right? Yeah, says Jeff excitedly. I've been working on this for a few years now. We've been really upgrading the animatronic tech. Come on, I'll show you the set, Jeff says as he walks closer to the stage, waving Zach to follow. As they approach the stage, Zach gets a knot in his stomach. There's a smell that he can't quite pin down. It's a chemical of some kind. It seems familiar, but it's not bleach or cleaner. And a memory slaps him in the face, and he remembers the distinct smell of his grandfather's body during his open casket viewing. Zach's nose crinkles. The smell is making him queasy. Jeff turns and notices. Oh, hey, hey, man, are you okay? Here, sit down. Let me grab you some water. Jeff grabs a glass of water just to the right of the stage. Zach sits on the floor and drinks from the glass. Thanks. I I, I don't know if it was that smell or what, but I just... Zach's eyes gloss over. His whole body feels like it's melting as it falls to the right and his head rests on the floor. Zach squints one eye open. It's bright. It hurts. His body feels heavy and tense. He's lying down, but not on the ground, and he's cold. He tries to raise his head, but he can't. He tries to move his arms and legs, but nothing happens. He's tied down, and he's naked. Unable to move his head, he moves his eyes to the left and right. He can't see much. It's dark all around except right above him. His heart is heavy, racing. He tries to take a deep breath, but there's tape covering his mouth, and he's only able to get tiny wisps of air through his nose. His thoughts feel foggy and are masked by confusion and fear. As panic sets in, he hears footsteps. A shadow begins to form in his periphery, and seconds later, a familiar face is standing over him. Hello, Zach, Jill says, as she scrunches her nose. I see you met my brother, Jeff. I'm sorry about the tape. It's not that we don't trust you. It'll just be a lot easier if you don't talk. Zach's eyes grow wide. Now listen, I'm sure you have a lot of questions and they will all be answered, I promise. Zach hears a sound from the corner of the room, metal clanging, like when you're at the dentist, small tools on a metal table. Then Jeff appears, holding a scalpel. 
Zach uses every muscle in his body to try and escape his restraints, but he's not breaking loose at all. In fact, now the straps feel even tighter than they were before. Zach, you need to calm down. If you can't keep yourself calm, we can cut straight to the end. Jack threateningly holds up a syringe so Zach can see it. But it's so much more fun if you get to experience the whole show, she continues, as she puts the syringe back down. Now let's just stay calm, okay, Zachy? Jill steps on a lever on the floor, bringing Zach's bed into a vertical position. He can now see that he's in the same theater as before, but it feels darker now, scarier. The stage is black, but the spot where he, and apparently Jill and Jeff are, is lit with a spotlight. Jill points with two fingers to a projector and a screen. It was easier than I expected to get you down here, Zach, she says, and she hands the remote to Jeff. I gave those kids five bucks each to knock over your drink. The fact that it also broke your phone, now that was just dumb luck. The lights dim, and then projector turns on. It's a TikTok video. First, says Jeff, let's take a look at your video from two years ago, shall we? And at the click of a button, Zach is watching himself sitting on Abraham Lincoln's lap. Now listen very closely, okay, Zach? On screen, Zach is sitting on Abraham Lincoln's lap, laughing and mimicking his movements. We hear Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address and see Zach mouthing it along with him. Then there's a small pause and a little click or a clack. Then Zach looks down at Lincoln's lap, quickly gets up, and we see his camera shaking as he runs out of the theater panting and laughing. The video ends. Zach, Jeff says, did you hear the crack right after you made fun of our founding father's speech? It was kind of like a, like a snap. Yeah, you broke Abraham Lincoln, and it took my dad three years to make him. Back on the vertical table, Zach's forehead contracts with confusion. His eyes narrow, but he can't ask any questions. You see, Zach, our great-grandfather, was a very famous Imagineer. In fact, he basically invented animatronics. Then my grandfather became an, an Imagineer, and my father too. And he actually built the Lincoln animatronic that you broke for TikTok followers. <sighs> and while you should have known better than to sit on him, it did show me how incredibly delicate animatronics are. Now, unfortunately, Disney is trying to curb nepotism, so I have to actually work my way up to become an Imagineer, and I knew that I wanted to somehow upgrade animatronics to get their attention, but I just wasn't sure how. But that's where my sister comes in. Jill, Jeff continues, why don't you tell our friend Zach here what you've been working on? Oh, happily, Jill says. Zach's mind is racing, yet he can't help feeling like he's being presented a sales pitch or something. This is definitely rehearsed, or this isn't the first time they've done this. So, I work upstairs, as you know, Jill says, but only part-time. I actually spend most of my time at UC Irvine. I'm a med student there. When Jeff started talking about animatronics and how he wanted to make them look more realistic, that's when I thought, what if we made a human robot? You know, like half human, half robot? Now, it sounds far-fetched, but the science tech classes I've been taking really prove that it's not impossible. So Jeff and I started experimenting, and we found that using human bones and tissue in place of metal and rubber not only lasts longer, but it creates an animatronic that is, like, unlike anything you've seen. Jill's eyes are wide. She bites her bottom lip and smiles maniacally. It's been quite a journey, <laughs> but we think we're almost ready to present to Disney our humanatronics. She takes a deep, proud breath and continues as the stage lights up. All of our people up there on stage, they're humanatronics. Isn't it amazing? They're part human, part robot. It's the next phase of theme park technology, and we've developed it. We just need to fix the sun. His leg movements. 
they just aren't measuring up to the others. He needs like a new femur, probably new skin. <laughs> Zach! Jill snaps and looks at him annoyed. I told you we'll answer all your questions. <sighs> Why you, right? That's what you're wondering? Okay, Jeff, play the next one. The projector screen lights up again. This time it's Zach's viral blue slushy TikTok video. They watch the screen as blue icy blasts out of his mouth. They watch him throw the cup across the dining area. And as the cup hits the side of the trash can where blue liquid pours down, Jill lets out an audible gasp. The video ends. Tisk, 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 Zach, Jill says, nodding. Her lips are in a straight line. See, you were on our radar because of the whole Lincoln thing, but we were going to spare you because really... It was that stunt that gave us the idea. But then I saw the blue slushy video and ugh. Jill shakes her head disgusted. You have no respect for Disneyland, do you? Throwing cups, missing the trash bin, leaving a pile of blue goo for custodial to clean up. Despicable. Jill presses the lever on the floor and Zach's bed goes back to the horizontal position. She reaches for the metal tray, takes the scalpel and makes a quick incision. In the top of Zach's thigh. He's so tightly bound that he can't move, but his leg twitches and he winces and screams in pain through the taped mouth. Jeff grabs a nearby bucket to catch the blood dripping off of Zach's leg. Oh, does that hurt? Jill looks at Zach's eyes. Sorry, she says as she makes another longer incision, this time down the length of his legs from the top of his thigh to his ankle. Then she carefully makes another down the other side and finally a small line to connect the two parallel lines. She carefully begins to scrape the skin away from his leg until she's able to peel it like a banana. Zach's body is trembling beneath the weight of his restraints. Jeff stands to the right of Jill, holding a long container filled with a liquid chemical that has the same smell that made Jack sick, Zach sick earlier that day. Jill carefully places the peeled skin into the container. His body continues to tremble and his heart rate increases. Zach watches silently as Jill puts on a plastic face shield and grabs something from the table. Zach's body begins convulsing, seizing. Jill turns off the chainsaw and raises her face shield. <sighs> okay, okay, you win. Jeff, can you hand me the syringe? She pouts. Jeff picks it up off the metal tray and hands it to her. I was really hoping you were going to be able to see the final result, but it seems you can't handle it. Anyway, you should know as a thank you for helping Jeff and I get to where we are, you will forever be a part of Disneyland. I mean, really, that's all you Disney adults want, isn't it? So sorry you have no respect for the happiest place on earth, but uh, thanks for the idea. She injects the syringe roughly into Zach's neck. Zach's shaking body calms immediately. The room is silent, except for the small wisps of shallow breath coming from Zach's nose. Jill looks to Jeff. Um, would you mind turning on some music? It's getting a little too quiet in here. It's actually kind of creepy. She lowers the face shield and picks up the chainsaw. Zach's heart rate slows. He's drifting in and out of consciousness. But just as he takes his final breath, he hears a familiar song. Four months later. Hey guys, says an excitable young woman on into her front-facing camera. Tabitha here from The Happiest News on Earth. Now get this. I just heard a rumor that Disney is about to announce a new type of animatronic. Her mouth drops open dramatically. 
I know. And while they're keeping mum on the details, I hear it's a really cool concept, never been done before, and like a totally new approach to making Walt's favorite robotic people. So stay tuned for that. We'll let you know as soon as we know more. Oh, also, please don't forget to go to ZachComeBack.org and sign our petition for Zach in Wonderland to start making Disneyland TikTok videos again. Zach, it's been months. We miss you. Anyway, that's all for now. See you next time on The Happiest News on Earth. I'm not clapping for that. <laughs> what the hell just Good happened? Good job, Taryn. <laughs> so, that was actually great. No, really. Thanks. Taren, but also, I'm scared. Taryn. <laughs> yeah, what's up? Jason, number one, blink twice if you need help. Um, Taryn. I can't blink. Holy crap. So I'm going to say what I said at the beginning. Like, you set the bar even higher. <laughs> So the, Hold the on. One, I haven't even gone yet. <laughs> no, it no, is it what matter. it is. I turned so... Walt Disney into a body snatcher. <laughs> book Walt. Book Walt. I turned between, Book Walt. So I, I'm sure that Jason's is going to be the best. Yes, okay. But so between this one and <laughs> the one that you had a couple of years ago with like the, you the could see the report? people's, no, the people's aura. Oh, yeah. oh that one. Disney. That was the first Holy year. crap. Like, should we? take up an offering for therapy are you good <laughs> probably like, not holy crap <laughs> wow that was amazing i'm a bit broken that was amazing thanks wow i had goosebumps a couple yeah times. all right all right i get it okay it was good okay <laughs> can we move on it's the last one Everybody, all right just say so you no know. mine go, is Jason. mine is very good i want you to know that feel free to you know comment as you will if you want to to reply to the story you don't have to Get in muffled tones or anything like that, okay? Oh, I'm already writing down my compliments. So All right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Just pre-fill out the form I sent you. Yeah. It's already pre-filled out. Just, it's, you know, anyway. <clears throat> Get off mute and go, oh, <laughs> whoa. I can't believe it. All right. That's so weird. Here we go. Kim Irvine sat alone in her office. Never before had the wall seemed so close or her desk so cluttered. Folders and books stacked like towers, threatening to bury her under reams and reams of the ideas that came before her. A fitting end, she thought to herself as she pinched the bridge of her nose and rubbed. Catching the scent of lilac and mint on the air reminded her to turn off her tiny air diffuser, her attempt at cleansing her mind of troubles and stress. It wasn't working. A knock at her door interrupted her self-care session. Yeah, she asked through a strained sigh. The door opened. Uh, Kim, you're needed down at the park. It's, it's happened again. Her fingers tightened on the bridge of her nose, turning her fingernails white under the strain. A slow building, uh, followed by a forced, yep, got it, shot out, and the man quickly closed the door. This was the fourth time this quarter she'd been called down to the park, and the second in the same month. Why is it getting worse, she muttered to herself. Standing up, Kim grabbed her keys and made for the door. By the time she arrived in Anaheim, the resort was already busy. Making her way backstage, she was greeted by Tim, a short, stocky man with whom she'd worked on a few projects with in the past. Somehow, Tim didn't seem phased by last night's activity. Hey, Kim. It's uh, over by the storybook boats. Kim nodded and kept walking. <clears throat> it's the Monstro Project this time, and it's pretty bad. This wasn't a backstage accident. Being the Monstro Project, meaning that this was in front of house in plain view of the guests. Damn it, she said. Moving through the crowds was her least favorite thing to do during the day because she could feel their thoughts, like literally feel them, not just being socially aware or whatever. 
The internet was great at funneling opinions to her, and she loved reading the negative comments about her work, but in person, it was a different story. Change is good for them, she'd say back at the screen. And it was true. As adaptable as human beings are, they are awfully bad at actually embracing change. Kim popped out from backstage and instantly put on her sunglasses. Tim led her over to the canal boats where large scrims had been set up, blocking the view from the guests. The Dumbo ride was closed as well as the Alice ride since both of those would take guests higher above the barriers, allowing them to see what was going on behind them. Making her way through the scrim, the smell was the first thing that hit her. Rancid meat. It was a smell that brought her back to her childhood, waiting for her parents to bring home dinner. Her... Her left stomach released a low grumble at this memory fragment, but it was only audible to her. She always had a problem controlling these sort of basic functions. Oh my god. Ahead of her sat Monstro, the larger-than-life whale from Pinocchio that guarded the entrance to Storybook Land. A small crowd had gathered in front of the whale's mouth, and two policemen were standing on top of his head near the mechanical blowhole. The cops gestured to one another, then pointed down at the jaw of Monstro, still obscured by police her fellow cast members, and some other people she didn't really care about. As they approached the crowd, Tim leaned in. He's already here, just so you know. As Tim's words echoed through her mind, a voice from deep in the crowd pierced the air. Where the hell is Kim? The people parted, and there at the end of the pathway stood Bob Chapek. Technically her boss, but she felt no particular sense of foreboding as he called for her. She was here on more important mission than appeasing a boss or two. The bald man's soft demeanor had hardened from his public persona. In public, he was likable. Here, behind the scenes, away from the gaze of the guests and consumers that this place runs on, this man became a different person. If she valued things like leadership, Kim would have felt a sense of respect for him. But she didn't. She was focused. Kim, the bald man said, striding towards her. I'm sorry to bring you out here again, so soon after the last one. She nodded, hiding her steely gaze behind her dark sunglasses. The sun was painful to her multi-lensed optical inputs, <laughs> so she was never without them. Today, she could hide behind them and blame emotions, whatever those were. The bald man touched her elbow comfortingly. Do you need a moment, or are you ready to talk about what happened? Thanks, Bob, she replied, forcing a tiny waver in her voice, but I want to figure this out. Very well, then. The bald man stepped aside. Back in her office, Kim sat in a soft chair across from her desk. Looking at her workspace from the other side sometimes helped her gain a bit of perspective in times like these. It felt like Kim was in this chair a lot lately. If she didn't know better, she'd think someone was doing this to her on purpose. After all, four people this year had died while implementing her ideas in the parks, and it had stopped being a coincidence and started to become, well, she didn't really know what. An act of war? No, that was too dramatic, but maybe not far off the mark. She'd have to think on it for a while. Right now, there were more pressing matters at hand, like how to get the Monstro Project back on track. Just then, the bald man opened her door. <laughs> hey, Kim, got a sec? He closed the door behind him. Without waiting for an answer, he continued. I'm starting to question just what it is your team is trying to accomplish with these projects of yours. The bald man was direct, if anything. Firm, yet not aggressive. What was Kevin working on when he had his accident last night? Oh, the Monstro Project, Kim started. We're going to... The bald man interrupted. The what? Bob, so you know my plan in the park is to sort of spruce the place up a bit. 
Yes, I'm aware, Kim. However, I don't remember hearing about this monstro thing at all. What was Kevin doing up there? Well, Bobby was prepping. Prepping? Yes, to paint. The bald man looked puzzled, but Monstro wasn't scheduled to be touched up for another six months. He had done his homework before coming to see her, it seemed. She was impressed. <laughs> Look, he continued, breaking the, si <laughs> breaking the silence. The fact of the matter is, Kevin should never have been up there in the first place. That alone is odd, but it's the way he died that really doesn't make any sense. A man just doesn't fall, what, like 20 feet and end up like that. I mean, to be impaled on those teeth in that way, those dull, rounded teeth, it would take an immense amount of downward pressure to have those things even pierce the skin, much less move all the way through the body like that. And the bald man was smart. She would give him that. Even setting that aside, he continued, and as he said this, he moved his arms from right to left, and Kim felt caught off guard by the way his jacket was tailored expertly to his form. Subtle. Forgetting all of that, it doesn't explain the way his limbs were twisted and broken. It's just not natural. And it only seems to be happening to folks working on your projects. Why do you think that is? Kim's mouth opened, but nothing came out. Well, nothing the bald man could hear anyway. I, uh, she wasn't sure how much to give away or if she should just tell him her real thoughts about who was behind this. He changed direction. Looking over the schedule, I see that the Matterhorn is next on your list. Despite having the last three projects of yours stopped due to tragedy, I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to suspend your next refurb. She couldn't let this happen. Her timeline was too tight, and already she was under threat from those back home to make sure the pre-planned changes took place. Bob, you can't, she protested. Kim! He raised his voice at her. Now, I've tried being accommodating and as understanding as any man in my position could be. He was right, she thought. He was right. But this last incident is just too much. And look, I'll be honest with you, the whole pastel thing over the castle, I thought that was a bit much, but I told Iger to let you run with it. Same with the Snow White pastel job you pulled the other year. I mean, we lost two people on that refurb alone. And at first I didn't see a connection, but now with Kevin, I just... The bald man paused. What was the plan with Monstro anyway? Kim knew this was coming, and she was ready. She straightened up, aligning what would... <laughs> Aligning what would otherwise be classified as a spine had she had the anatomy of a human inside her container and looked the bald man directly in the eye. The whale was due to be upgraded with a bit more lighter version of his classic blue color. The bald man looked at her blankly. You mean a pastel blue, don't you? She didn't reply. A soft buzz came from the bald man's pocket. He reached in and checked his phone. Sorry, Kim, I have to take this. We'll talk later. That wasn't a suggestion, she gathered. <laughs> For now, let's put the Matterhorn project on hold until I have a better understanding of just what it is you're going to do with it. He turned and strode out of her office. It was clear she had to do something. Not long after the bald man was in her office, Kim was back at Disneyland, sunglasses protecting the receptors in her eyes once again. <laughs> this time, she was going to get some answers. Ducking backstage in Tomorrowland, she opened one door after another, walked quickly down more than one quarter and made her way deep underneath the old building. A large round train track used to help guide a single wheel round and round. She squirmed her way underneath the low ceiling and opened a panel on the wheel. A series of buttons glowed red. Kim entered a string of numbers and with a whoosh, a small hatch opened up in the floor beside her. With a, with a quick glance around, she removed her sunglasses and hopped down into the room below. 
Runes and glyphs covered the walls, hardly visible in the dark. But Kim's advanced eyesight allowed her to overcome such human impediments as low light. Navigating quickly down the tunnel, she headed deeper into the bowels of the earth. Her people had communicated with the entity for generations in this place. And only once had the Great Migration not taken place here. And that was during construction of Disneyland. Her people had longed for a way to corrupt the seemingly incorruptible. And now it seemed that the strange energies of this park were finally becoming effective. The entity was turning. And now Kim had a vague idea as to what could be happening. Eventually, she arrived at her destination, pushing the moss-covered stone away. She stooped low and entered the space. The glyphs and runes that protected the entrance were absent in the space and were replaced with the release of the monitors that came before her, 15 in all, sent to ensure that the entity was being prepared for her. In the middle of the space sat a short wall of stones set into a circle, and in the middle of the circle was a hole leading, well, Kim didn't know how deep it went, where exactly it even led to. No one did. She just knew that this was where she was to go if her mission was ever in jeopardy. Day had passed into night when Kim finally emerged from the ancient tunnel underneath the building, and the park was closed. Securing the hatch, her hands were still shaking by what horrors she had been witness to as visions flooded all three sections of her brain. As she made her way back through the building, her phone started to sound off alerts one after the other as she got back into range. She ignored the trivial device and continued on. There was much to do and not much time to do it in. The change was happening, and it only needed a bit more. Kim's first stop was the paint department. Whoever was on third shift that night would have to do. Hey, Kim, you're here late. Johnny noticed as she approached. What's up? I need a few people. Small crew tonight, she replied. I know, I know. It's last minute, but it's important. Bob wants it to happen tonight. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Um, I can give you a couple folks, Johnny said as he looked at his clipboard. Uh, I'll send you uh, Jorge, Ben, Don, and Ted. Cool? Kim smiled. Yes, very. Thanks, Johnny. She turned and began to leave. Uh, Kim, Johnny called after her. Where should I send them? Matterhorn, she called over her shoulder, and tell him to bring the full kit. Kim could feel the eyes in the back of her head. She heard the muscles in his jaw relax, the saliva in his mouth begin to dry up, but she kept walking anyway. It was a quick walk over to the mountain, and she arrived. Kim took the sight of this mighty attraction in. What a fitting symbol for this final stage, she muttered to herself. Stage of what? A voice came from behind her. Kim whipped around and there stood Jorge and the paint crew, pushing a cart full of buckets of her signature pastel color palette. Uh, nothing, she replied. It's just, it's been a long day already. I hear that, said Ted. So what's the plan, boss? A smile overcame her mouth parts. <laughs> We're changing the mountain. Jorge and Ted looked at each other, concerned. She handed them each a mock-up sheet with her exact ideas and left them to it. Dawn broke on Disneyland, and with this new day came new hope for Kim. She stood on the basketball court inside the Matterhorn, shrouded by the exposed beams of wood that held this place together, and scanned her badge to allow her access to the walkway that led to the outside and the top of the Matterhorn. As the sun began to climb in the sky, its rays hit the new Matterhorn, illuminating the new color scheme and reflecting its brilliance to the rest of the park. Ha <laughs> ha! Yes! Yes! She cried! Kimberly! A low, gravelly, stern voice boomed from behind her. Startled, Kim spun around to face the bald man. Bob, she replied, 
What have you done? Bob's voice has changed. He was more in control than ever before now. If she was human, she might have been frightened by his power. (laughs) It's too late, Bob, Kim shot back. Even now, I can feel the energy rising. People can see my mountain already. And once the gates open, I'll have even more people gazing upon it. Your mountain, Bob asked. This will forever be Walt's mountain. Oh, stop, please, Bob. You don't care one bit about all that Walt crap. You know as well as I do the secret he guarded that he kept from you. Kept from us or saved us from it, he shot back. Did did the bald man know this whole time? Her facial disguise must have given her thoughts away because he continued. That's right, Kim. Management has known about the entity for decades. We knew about the monitors and we were able to stop many of them. But we're not always sure as to who among us has been compromised. You were the hardest one to figure out. Kim was surprised about how the words from the bald man made her feel. She warmed slightly and then recovered. So you want this place to destroy us all? She asked. Not destroy. Save, Kim. I want it to save us. I know you think of the entity and the changes it's going through as kind of a corruption. But the truth is, we are trying to save it. This place, this park wasn't chosen at random. We've had people on the inside of this thing since the beginning. C.V. Wood picked this orange grove all those years ago because of that tunnel, because of the entity, because it's our only way to survive. Kim was stunned. Inside, underneath her carbon-printed skin layer, multiple glands were excreting all at once. Panic was setting in as the words of the bald man unraveled, passing from one brain to the next, to the next, and then back again. The bald man went on. You think that people are corrupting, but it's the opposite. They're feeding, nourishing the entity, Kim, and we can't have you or anyone else interfere with that. Quickly, Kim recovered. That sure is a nice story, Bob, but this is already happening. Just look around you. Once the guests see my new work, they'll flee in droves, angry and upset, and the entity can rise up and rule us all once more. The bald man softened. I was afraid you'd say that. He stepped towards her. I'm sorry, Kim, but this is the only way. She took a small step backwards on the even smaller platform at the top of the Matterhorn. What is, Bob? What are you going to do? Oh, I'm not going to do anything, Kim. He took another step towards her. You are. I'm not going to do a single thing to help you, she spat, taking another step back. You stay away from me. This isn't to help me. It's to help it. He stepped forward again, forcing Kim to shift closer to the edge of the small platform. What do you mean? She asked. You have done the most damage to the entity. You have ignored the signs of its pain, its rejection of your enhancements, and yet you still kept on, covering everything in your pastel dreamland, trying to drive crowds away to make them angry. But you didn't count on the fact that people like to be angry, Kim. It's what fuels us. You were the one hurting the very thing you came here to protect. And now, to heal that hurt, the bald man made a sudden move towards her. He was fast too fast for her receptors to pick up in time, and the human reflexes she was infused with failed to provide her with enough input to adjust. Her heels slipped off the platform, arms waving. Flailing is what they would call it, she thought, as the bald man moved quickly away to her, staring down from the platform she was just celebrating on only minutes ago. As she gained speed, she could hear the painters down below executing what was to be her final project. Below, buckets of the most beautiful pastel colors rushed up to embrace her. At least I'll look pretty, she thought, as her fall and her mission ended. A wet, deep thud echoed through the corridors of the Matterhorn. 
The painters rushed to the source of the sound and found Kim laying in a pile of plastic and steel and pastel, broken and twisted. Jorge leaned his head out a bit to look up from where Kim had fallen from, only to see a brief flash of fleshy bald head disappeared from the platform. Disneyland didn't open that day, partially due to the death of one of their most prominent employees, but also so they could correct the pain on the Matterhorn, restoring the snow-capped peaks of the mountain to the classic white color they were the, before she had told the paint crew to change them to various shades of soft pinks and blues. The entity was at rest once more. The end. <laughs> Oh my God, uh, you really don't like Kim. <laughs> oh man, I don't know if I don't like Holy her, but crap, you buried uh, her. I was dying. She wasn't human. What do you want? Yeah, good job. Thanks. Man. I like. How, how many times did you say pastel on that story? <laughs> I don't know. You want to look? The chat is actually. I, I think the chat says five, but I, I five. Think I heard see. like twelve. Yeah, I don't know about seven. That, yeah. Seven. Oh, that's it. Oh. oh. Felt like more. Uh, it, trust me, it did. <laughs> I didn't even notice it actually. I was more just tuned into all of the ways you made her not a human. <laughs> <laughs> her mouth parts. Oh, <laughs> her man, mouth parts. So good, her, her left stomach. <laughs> yeah. uh, Honestly, the one I was most proud of was the carbon printed skin or whatever it was. <laughs> carbon printed skin. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is good, God. dude. Okay, that's it. We're we're done. Wow. I'm sweating. We're 15 minutes late for the secret show. Yeah, we are. Um, you you all know the plugs. I don't need to go through the plugs with you guys again, right? <laughs> Listen to uh, the Supreme Resort. There you please. go. Say hi to. Oh, me. that's it. Just please, <laughs> <laughs> please do it. All ban, right, we're ban the milk too. Yeah, ban the milk. Stuff. All the all the things. Listen to sure, everything. Them them also. Yeah, but mainly Supreme Resort. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to get out of here, everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I appreciate it. For you Secret Show people, I'm going to get right over to the Secret Show feed, then we're going to make a drink, and we're going to come right back. So don't go anywhere too far. You're going to do that, by the way. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot for tuning in, everybody. I appreciate it. And until next time, we'll see you in the parks. Bye. Bye.